Morning, church family. Good morning. Y'all be seated. Let's give our praise team a big round of applause while you're sitting down. What a blessing they are to us. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to be wrapping up our sermon series called One. And this morning I want to preach to you a message I'm calling Once Upon a Time. If you've heard me speak at all, you know I refer to my kids a lot. And I am especially fired up this morning. And I believe it's because the anointing of the Lord has been all over me this week as I've been prepping this sermon. It could be that my parents were in town over the weekend and they took my kids to Kansas yesterday. And this morning I was kid free, got up at six, made coffee, had a few cups, only had to dress myself, only had to cook breakfast for my bride and I. So I'm feeling good. In my family, we read a lot of stories that start with the phrase, once upon a time. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul reminds us and churches from from, uh, history and churches in the future who we once were. I've got this on the screen for you this morning. And I want to read from the Word of God together. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that would be you and that would be me. That's everybody who is not a Jew. And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That would be the Jewish people. The descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the nation of Israel. Uh, those people who call themselves the circumcision called everybody else uncircumcised. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. If you're following along in your Bible, you need to underline this next verse. This is verse 13. The Bible says... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who, translation would say, once upon a time were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's trying to say in one phrase. I've got this for you on the screen this morning. You do not have to be who you once were, church family. You do not have to be who you once were. Let me show you a couple of pictures to illustrate this point. This first picture is the picture of a monarch butterfly. And unless you had some training on what this thing looked like way early on in its life, you would never in a million years guess that it looked like this. Let me show you this next picture. You would never guess those two things were one and the same. Who the butterfly once was is not who it had to be for the rest of its life. It went through a powerful transformation to become what God designed it to be. We got a lot of these, a lot of these things in this next slide running around northeast Louisiana. This is a frog. You would never guess unless you had been trained that this thing at one moment in time looked like this. Who you once were, church family, is not who you have to be. Can you say amen right there, friends? One of the biggest compliments that I get paid, and it happens every now and then, when somebody hears who I used to be. And they'll say, Trent, 
I just can't imagine that who you were is really who you were because of who you are now. And I say, homeboy, I didn't have to to remain who I once was. I got the opportunity to be totally transformed by coming near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ the Son. Who I was is not who I had to stay. You know, I was thinking about this, and we use this statement that uh, your, your past behavior is the best predictor of your future behavior. And I've used that before, and I understand the thinking behind it, but here's the truth. Your future behavior is best predicted by how near to God, through Jesus Christ, the Son, that you are. So there are three things in Ephesians 2 that we learn can be totally transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, which brings us near to God. I want to share those with you and then we're going to wrap up. The first thing that you don't have to live by anymore by the blood of Jesus Christ is your past. You are not who your past says you are. Now, in verses 11 and 12, Paul does say to the church in Ephesus, look guys, it is true at one point in time, you were far away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true. And because you were far away from the Lord Jesus Christ, there were some symptoms as a result of that distance that you experienced in your life that is who you really were. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, who was I before I was made near to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Were you an addict? Does your past tell you you're an addict? Does your past whisper something to you like once an addict, always an addict? Or how about this? Have you had a failed marriage? Have you lived through a divorce? And does your past, does your past tell you, well, you're just a divorced individual. You have a failure in your past. You're always going to be a failure. You're never going to be anything more than a failure. Were you a gossip in the past? Does your past whisper to you, you're always going to be a busybody, you're always going to be a gossip? Were you angry in the past? Does your past whisper to you, you're always going to be angry, you're always going to be bitter, you're always going to be resentful? Maybe you were prideful in your past. And maybe your past is telling you, you're always going to be prideful, you're always going to be arrogant, you're always going to think you're a little bit better than... When you are made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, your past gets literally destroyed. And none of those things that at one point in time were true for you have to remain true for you, church family. If we keep looking ahead in Scripture, and I've got this on the screen, we see in verse 19 this phrase, and this is really important. This phrase is, you are no longer. You are no longer. Were you at one point in time an addict? You are no longer an addict when you're made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. At one point in time, if you've been through a divorce, you don't have to live the legacy of that divorce if you've been made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. At one point in time in your past, did you struggle with anger? You don't have to struggle with anger anymore if you've been made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Who you were is no longer who you have to be if you've been made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there, and it won't intimidate me at all. 
Who you were is no longer who you have to be. At one point in time, you were a stranger. What Paul is saying there is you are now a citizen of a different kingdom. And if you would become a citizen of the Dominican Republic, your past in the United States of America no longer matters. When you are baptized into Christ and you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you are no longer a stranger to God, but you are made near to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, your past absolutely gets destroyed. And so when the enemy starts to whisper your past to you, Trent, you were a failure. Trent, you were a mistake. Trent, you were a sinner. I can say by the grace of God, what my past says I am, I no longer have to be because I've been made near to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true for you, church family. Your past has been destroyed. You know, so, so we are, as human beings, it is so easy to define ourselves, not only by our past, because, you know, we, we're all familiar with that phrase, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. This guy was just an angry, rageful, bitter, spiteful guy. That's who he's always going to be. Not true in Jesus Christ. But sometimes it's not our past that whispers to us who we are. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's not our past. Sometimes it's the opinions of other people that we allow to define us. Human beings are a lot like fish. Fish travel in a school, and they depend on one another for survival. That's kind of what God communicates to us in Genesis chapter 2 when he looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. We need relationships. And because we need relationships, the opinions of the people we're in relationships with go a long way at influencing us in terms of who we think ourselves to be. And in Paul's day, there was a lot of racism in in the nation of Israel. These guys were really raised to believe that they were better than everybody else. So much so that they developed this racial slur that they used to refer to everybody who wasn't a Jew, and they would call them uncircumcision. And that's a, that's a strange phrase in our day and time. But can I just say that that would be one of the most humiliating things a person could be called because of the region of the body that that refers to? That particular slur was, was, was surgically precise in how it tried to embarrass and humiliate the people that the Jews thought they were better than. And can you, can you imagine a Gentile who had been beat up by the sin-cursed culture that they lived in? And they walked by a group of religious people who kind of seemed like they got it together. And that group of religious people under their breath as that Gentile walked by, as Trent walked by, or as you walked by, I go, look at that uncircumcised Gentile. And what if I heard that? Man, it would have a powerful influence on how I viewed myself. And that was happening. Paul says, you Gentiles at one point in time were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Here's one of the miracles of the Apostle Paul's life. He was trained to think just like that. He was trained in that same kind of racist arrogance and pride. 
And the very people God called him to minister to were the ones, as a rule, he would have been most critical of and most slanderous of and most racist towards. And can I just chase a rabbit and say, when the Lord God calls you close to him by the blood of Jesus Christ, often he calls you to serve the same people that you were criticizing and condemning and complaining about before you were made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And some of us lack the ministry potential that God intends to deliver to us because we're too afraid to let God transform our thinking so that we can really go to that group and minister to them and encourage them. But not Paul. That's a miracle. He gets so near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, he goes, it doesn't matter how I've been trained to think about non-Jews. I'm going to go love them, and I'm going to serve them, and I'm going to minister to them. And you know what the religious people started saying about Paul because of that transformation? The same kind of stuff they were saying about the Gentiles. And that didn't discourage him. Paul's not the kind of guy who let the opinions of other people distract him from the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me tell you a couple of things um, about this. I was considering this as I was prepping for this sermon. And I, and I thought about this. Um, first off, uh, there are some truths about how other people's opinions of you influences you. I wanted to share a couple of these with you. This will make sense as I get into this. The first is the closer you are to a person, the more their opinion of you will matter to you. Sometimes it's the people that's close that are close to me when they think a certain way about me, I'm going, "Man, I wonder if this really is true for me." If that's the case, and I believe that it is, then there is somebody in the universe we need to be more close to than anybody else in the universe, and His name is Jesus. If we get close enough to Jesus, it doesn't matter what the opinions of people who are close close to us are, because Jesus' opinion will outweigh all those if we're closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's, here's another truth as I was praying and thinking about this. The more people that criticize you, the more their criticism will influence your, your identity. That's, that's about quantity. So if a lot of people are critical of you, that will, that will more potentially influence your identity. So what do we got to do? I got to expose myself to the truths of God's word more often than the enemy comes at me with the criticism of lots of other people. And if lots of other people's opinion of you is starting to outweigh God's opinion of you, that means you're not spending enough time getting familiar with what God's opinion of you actually is. And it's laid out right here in black and white, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes in red. Okay? Here's here's something else that's true. The more you are in pain, the easier it will be for you to be deceived and for the opinions of others to matter. So what do you have to do? You've got to let Jesus heal you. Now, this is not up on the screen, but I'm going to go to Matthew 13. I shared this with our church staff in terms of healing. Matthew 13, I'm going to read 15, just verse 15. Jesus says, this, heart, this people's heart has become calloused. How did their heart become calloused? Matthew 13, 15. They hardly heard with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Who's not hearing? It's the people. Who's not seeing? It's the people. 
And because they have not heard with their eyes, they have not heard with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, they do not understand with their hearts. And because they don't understand with their hearts, they don't turn towards me. And Jesus says something really profound right after he speaks that truth to his people. He says, if these people would open their eyes and see me, and if they would hear what I'm telling them with their ears, then they would understand with their hearts and they would turn and I would heal them. I would heal them. You got to be willing to see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart and turn. Turn towards Jesus and be made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then something powerful and something miraculous and something exciting will happen in your life. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself says he will heal you. He will transform you. This is where God gets in Ephesians 2.19. He transforms our reputation. This is the next verse on the screen. It doesn't matter who others say you are because your reputation, when you become a fellow citizen in the kingdom of heaven, gets totally transformed. When you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, who you are gets totally transformed. And here's something true about citizens of the kingdom. This is Luke 6.26. I don't have this on screen. But Jesus says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how ancestors of people who spoke bad about the prophets treated the false prophets. They spoke well of the false prophets. But they spoke poorly about people who were close to God and speaking the truth. What that tells me is if we're living under a little bit of criticism, we're probably on the right track. If we're living under a little bit of criticism, we're probably on the right track. You know one of the Christians who was most criticized for his ministry recorded in the scriptures was? I just read some of his words, man. The Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't winning any popularity contests for his preaching. Jesus wasn't the guy who millions of people were coming, paying big money to come see. Jesus was only followed by a few people who did what? They they saw with their eyes and they heard with their ears. And because they did, their hearts understood and they turned towards him and he healed them. And it totally transformed their life. You know what's so powerful about that? And you guys, I I know you're thinking about the shirt that I'm wearing. This is my Thanksgiving shirt. And you're right. You're right, it is. My wife dressed me this morning. She didn't have anybody else to dress, remember? So she dressed me this morning. And, uh, and man, it's the, it's the season of the year where we're thankful. Thankful for, for all that God has given us. And here's what's incredible about what God has given us in, in transforming our past and transforming our reputation. is This is a, this is a free gift. And it's not based at all on our performance. Before, before we, we, we were converted and we were distant from God, we had no hope. And if we have no hope, what that means is our performance is never going to measure up. And I want, I want to share a little bit of a personal journey that God's been taking me through, I would say over the last probably two years. And I didn't realize this about myself, but I was a very results-driven man. I was a very results-driven man. 
I saw the most beautiful girl I had ever laid eyes on, my beautiful bride, Kirsten. And what's the desired result? To somehow manipulate this woman into marrying me. And I succeeded in a big way, okay? There was a result that I wanted to achieve. I wanted to get a terminal degree in my field. And I worked my tail off extremely hard. And and Kirsten and I sacrificed a lot. And I achieved the result. And God led me through a season in life where I was encouraged based on the results that I was getting. But God has showed me in the last few years that life, I need you to hear this because I, God clearly communicated to me this is true for lots of us here. Life, friends, is not about the results that we get in life. I want you to look at me when I'm saying that. This is extremely important. Life is not about the results that you get in life. Let me tell you what God showed me that it's about. Life is about the principles that you live by. Life's not about the results that you get. Life is about the principles that you live by. Here's what, here's what has seemed to be more true for me as I live and work hard and try to, try to live as a man of principle. That sometimes if I'm living by principle, I don't always get the results that I expect to get. If I'm living as a man of principle, that doesn't automatically mean I'm going to get the desired result. Uh, it's it, baseball season's getting ready to start. I got two boys who are going to be playing. We're about to give each of our sons some baseball lessons by people who know what they're doing. Lord knows that that's not me. Can I get an amen? Now, if you knew, if you knew me, you'd know that that's true for me. And in professional baseball, guys who are the best of the best, they only hit three out of 10. So what if as a baseball player, I measured my success based on the results that I achieved when I hit the ball? If that's how I measured success, I'd always be a failure. I'd always be a failure. So what if instead I got up in the batter's box and I decided to remind myself of everything I had done in the past week? Did I show up early for practice? Did I work my tail off and stay focused on the task at hand? Did I find small improvements I could make in areas where I was having a problem? Was I compassionate towards others? Did I really stop focusing so much on myself and start focusing on the team? If I lived based on those principles, I want to tell you this. I believe I would have success in the batter's box. But that's not a guarantee. And if I can learn to find satisfaction being a principle-centered man, God showed me that I can find contentment in whatever the results are that my life generates. And I don't have to have constant success or constantly have the results that I'm after to really find satisfaction. You are not who your performance says that you are. You're not. But in our culture, the enemy wants nothing more than for you to judge your worth based on your results. And God's telling you this morning, don't judge your worth based on your results Some of you know where I'm going with this already. Base your worth on the results that the resurrection can bless you with. That's Paul Paul has already talked about that a few verses earlier than our text. He says this. Your salvation is not about some result that you've earned. 
It's not about something that you've done. It's not because you've batted a thousand. It's not because you're the second incarnation of Christ. It's not because you've never made a mistake. Your, your, your salvation is not about something you've done. It's not about results that you've earned. It is about the result that Christ has earned and has offered to impute unto you at the time of your conversion when your sin gets imputed unto him and God punishes him for your sin and not you. And he actually gets the results that you should have gotten and you get the results that he earned you by living a perfect, sinless life. Despite the fact he was tempted in all ways, just like we are, and did not sin. Then he was crucified on a cross, died a humiliating, excruciating death. A death that we sinners should have died so that we could have the opportunity to seize the free gift of salvation. He offers to all who obey the gospel and put their trust and their hope and their faith in Him. The resurrection trumps our performance every single time by the grace and mercy of God. If you have always felt like a failure in life, there's good news for you this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ will never fail you. Let me say that again, man. That's, I've been inspired by this all week. It's a, I love this season. I really, I really start to think about Jesus. I usually get time away from my kids, which helps me even focus in on what God's done in my life even more. And man, there are times in my life I have felt like a complete failure. Recently, a lot more lately than I have. Just because I think as we age, we, we realize the growth areas that we need, or at least we should. And, and God's saying to us this morning, friends, it doesn't matter how much you have failed in life. Jesus Christ will never fail. His performance can replace your performance. So here's the way this is supposed to work. You're supposed to remember Ephesians 2.13 for the rest of this year at least. Would you be willing to do that for me? And any time the enemy brings your past up, Anytime the enemy whispers, who you are is who you're always going to be, you say, absolutely not. I am who I'm around the most, and I'm going to get around Jesus the most because I've been brought near to God by his blood. I am who Jesus says I am. I'm becoming like Jesus. I'm not who my past says I am anymore. And I want you to remember Ephesians 2.13 when people start to speak poorly of you. And I want you to remind yourself, you know what? I used to be sinful and worthless because I was away from God without a kingdom, without the promises, without the covenants, and without hope. But now, I've been made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son. And it's His opinion of me that matters, not anybody else's. And when your performance just starts to weigh on you, and you feel the pressure of trying to provide or trying to maintain a house for your family or trying to do both as a single parent or, or trying to travel enough to visit the grandkids. Whatever the pressure is, you're not going to feel good enough. And Ephesians 2.13 should remind you, you don't have to feel good enough. Jesus Christ is good enough every single time. Last thing God uh, communicated to me about this. I'm trying to get this thing wrapped up. Some of us are not going to get the reward for our principle-centered living this side of heaven. That's true. 
We're going to live by principle and we're going to surrender to Jesus. We're not going to let our past define us. We're not going to let people define us. And we're not going to let our performance define us. And we're still going to have to wait till we get to heaven to really see the fruits of our labor come into full bloom. And what I want to tell you about that is that this life right here on earth is less than the first sentence of the first page of the foreword in the book of the rest of our eternity. And if you will store up for yourself treasures in heaven, then you, I promise you will reap the reward that Jesus promises you because of his performance on your behalf. I don't know what the enemy's been doing in your life. I've had this sermon all over me. I know God has spoken to you through this. And I want to challenge you. Come forward. If your past is beating you up or other people's opinions are influencing your view of you or, or your own performance just constantly feels like it doesn't measure up, I'm going to close in a verse of a prayer. I invite you to respond this morning. As a church, we want to disciple you and encourage you and love on you in the life that you're living right here, right now today. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you. I am so grateful that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can all be near to you. And when we are, our past no longer matters. Our people's opinion of us no longer matters. Our performance doesn't matter. What matters is the Lord Jesus Christ's blood and whether or not it's been applied to our life and we are near to you. Any who have a need today, I pray in Jesus' name you'd, res- you'd, you'd strengthen them to respond and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for the opportunity we've had to gather in your presence here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.